We are in John 4, finishing up the story of the woman at the well this morning. And uh, then in our next study, we'll finish up John 4. If you have a Bible, you can open there. And uh, there are printed messages at both exits. You can track with the message on. There are also... uh, the printed and audio messages on the uh, church website, and you should have an outline in your bulletin. Reading from verses 27 down to 42. At this point, Jesus has been talking with the woman. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This isn't the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they're white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you've not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with him, them, And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. If you're anything like me, you struggle at being an effective witness for Jesus Christ. I have prayed about that lack in my own life for many decades now. I've read many books on the subject of evangelism. I've gone to different training seminars. I even took a whole class on it in seminary. And yet I often uh, fail at being a good witness. It seems like about two hours after the opportunity, I think, oh, I should have said that. And I just wasn't attuned to the situation, and I I blew the opportunity. Now, our text gives us some help in this area from a very unlikely uh, source. Um, This is a woman who is a brand new Christian. Mark this. She is still living with a man outside of marriage. She hasn't had time to fix that problem yet. Uh, She knows almost no sound doctrine. She's a Samaritan, after all. Uh, She has not had a training course in how to share her faith. And yet, the Lord uses this brand new convert 
to effectively evangelize her entire village for Christ. Jesus, in verse 26, has just told her that he is the Messiah. And she gets so excited about this, she leaves her water pot, goes back into her village, and tells these men, who normally would have laughed at anything she had told them, in verse 29, she says, Come, see a man who has told me all the things that I've done. This isn't the Christ, is it? And as a result of her witness, they start streaming out of the city to meet Jesus. They invite him to stay with them for two days. Uh, he stays there. Many more Samaritans come to believe in him. And the climax of the whole story is the final line of verse uh, 42, where they proclaim, This one is indeed the Savior of the world. It's a remarkable testimony from a bunch of Samaritans. And uh, this narrative teaches us that God uses witnesses who in the first place are excited about Jesus. They have a harvest perspective and they invite others to come to him. Uh, when Jesus tells this woman in verse 26 that he is the Messiah, she has a decision to make. Is he or isn't he? And clearly she decides in light of what he has told her, he is. Now, a few commentators question whether she really came to believe because John never specifically says, as he will with the nobleman at the end of the chapter, she believed. He doesn't use those words. So how, how do we know that she believed? And by the way, most, the vast majority of commentators agree with me that she did come to faith. I think we know because of her response uh, to the message. Um, she gets so excited, she goes back and she's not quiet about it. She tells the whole village who Jesus is and also the results. They come out and they meet Jesus and uh, they believe. And so I think we will meet this woman in heaven. As I said, hopefully there will be name tags in heaven. Samaritan woman, because we don't know her name. <laughs> but uh, we will be able to talk with her. So the first lesson here is simply that God uses the witness of those who are excited about Jesus. Um, just as or after Jesus tells this woman he's the Messiah, at this point, verse 27 says, the disciples come back with the food. They, they've gone into the city to buy lunch. So now they're back on the scene. And uh, John says in verse 27 that they were amazed that he has been talking to a woman. There are two reasons that they were amazed. Number one is their cultural conditioning, which I'll explain. And secondly, they were amazed because they did not understand Jesus' mission. And we'll see that in a moment in verses 31 to 38. Culturally, it was taboo for a Jewish man to speak with a woman in public, much less a Samaritan woman, much less than that, a Samaritan woman of questionable morals, as this woman was. Now some, not all Jewish leaders, but some Jewish leaders went so far as to teach that it was a waste of time to talk with any woman, including your own wife, because that might distract you from 
studying the Torah and might actually even lead you to hell. Um, there were some rabbis who went so far as to teach that if you taught your daughter the Torah, you might as well sell her into prostitution, that it was that bad. And so they would not teach women. They would not talk to women about spiritual things as Jesus has been doing with this woman at the well. And there were some Jewish leaders who taught that Samaritan woman, women were perpetually, uh, not to be gross, but they were perpetually menstruating. And so they were unclean because to the Jew, uh, a woman during her monthly cycle was unclean. And so here the disciples come back and they see Jesus, of all things, talking with this, this Samaritan woman at the well, and they're shocked. But they don't ask Jesus uh, why he is doing that. Now, some say that their silence is due to deference to Jesus, but on other occasions they didn't hesitate to question him. I think they were just too shocked to talk. They didn't know what to say. And by the time they could say anything, Jesus was already uh, describing to them his mission, which is the second reason that they were uh, shocked here. But um, uh, John tells us what they were thinking. After all, he was one of them. Uh, in verse 27, what do you seek? In other words, in modern parlance, what in the world are you doing? And the second question they were thinking is, why are you talking to her? of all people, you know, to this unclean Samaritan woman. Uh, before we move on, John Calvin has two very helpful and practical insights on verse 27 that I wanted to pass on. He says, first of all, the disciples marveled, if they were marveling, that Jesus spoke with such a sinner as this Samaritan woman. Calvin says, they should have looked at themselves and marveled. Because he points out, none of us are any more worthy of heaven than this uh, immoral Samaritan woman was. And so we need to understand we're all sinners, and it is a marvel that Jesus would speak to any of us or uh, open to us the way of salvation. And then his second point is uh, that the fact that they didn't question Jesus, Calvin says we should learn from that that if you encounter anything in God's Word that is disagreeable to you or puzzling, and let's be honest, we all come up on those things once in a while, Calvin says, learn from it, don't murmur against God, but rather wait in silence until God reveals the matter to you more clearly. Then John continues in verses 28 to 30. He says, so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come, See a man who told me all the things that I have done. This isn't the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. You know, John doesn't tell us exactly why the woman left her water pot. And commentators have all sorts of ideas on it. My thought is just this. I think she was so excited that Jesus was the Messiah, she couldn't wait to get back to the city and tell everyone about him, and carrying a heavy stone or clay water pot uh, would have slowed her down. And she wanted them to meet this remarkable stranger before perhaps he moved on down the road. And so she rushes back into her village, and uh, she, she exaggerates, really, when she says, 
this man told me all the things I've ever done. Well, that's stretching it. And again, I just think that shows her excitement because you've gotten excited about something, haven't you? Uh, some of you guys that fish. Yeah, I was this big, you know. Well, maybe that big, but you, you, you exaggerate when you're excited. And so she's excited about Jesus. And um, normally, she would have avoided saying anything about her past. I mean, that wasn't her sterling quality in life. Five husbands, the one she's living with now is not her husband, uh, was under wraps. Now she just opens it up and says, this man told me everything. Come and see for yourself. And she invites them. And you need to understand something else here. And that is, in that culture, the testimony of a woman was disregarded. Uh, especially a woman of ill repute like this woman was. The Jews would not accept as legal testimony in a court of law the witness of a woman. They just thought, yeah. You know, they were very 
that this Jewish stranger would even talk to her. Uh, Her mind is not on a spiritual plane. She's thinking about, let's see, how can you give me water so I don't have to come here and draw? And yet, Jesus breaks through with her. And, um, you know, again, from a human perspective, if I had seen her, I wouldn't have thought, wow, here's a key convert. If I can win this woman, I'm going to win a whole village. Uh, I would have thought of Nicodemus that way. Man, if I can get this guy. You know, he's a Pharisee. He's a leader. This guy's got potential. But this woman? Yeah, she's she's an immoral woman living with a guy that she's not married to. Uh, I mean, not a key person. And yet, Jesus crosses these cultural taboos. He reaches this unlikely woman. And as a result of that, he reaches the entire village. Again, just shows you God's perspective is different. And you never know how God will use your witness with anyone. So don't prejudge people is what I'm saying. You know, you meet somebody and you think, oh man, there's not a chance. Well, humanly, you're exactly right. But from God's perspective, He could save that person. And who knows how God might use that person in reaching others. Um, so that's the first first lesson. And then secondly, Jesus shows there is great reward and great joy in doing God's work. Verse 36. Already he who reaps is, is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Earthly wages do you exactly zero good one minute after you die. You know, it just doesn't do you a bit of good then. But if you've been laying up rewards for eternity, wages for heaven, that pays off forever and ever and ever. The richest billionaire in the world on his deathbed, if he hasn't laid up treasure in heaven, he's like the guy Jesus told about who's trying to build bigger barns. And uh, Jesus says he wasn't rich toward God. And Jesus calls him a fool. But... If you have a harvest mindset and you're reaching souls, there's eternal reward in that. Can you imagine getting to heaven someday and meeting somebody who says, I am eternally grateful to you because you told me about the Savior. Wow! There's going to be no greater joy than that. And and, uh, by the way, we don't know who Jesus is referring to there in verse 36 when he says, He who sows... And he who reaps may rejoice together. Now, Jesus and the disciples are the ones reaping. It could have been the Old Testament prophets. It could have been um, John the Baptist who's sowing. It could have been Jesus and the woman who sowed the seed. And now the disciples are in on the reaping. We don't know. But the lesson is, someone sowed, and now Jesus and the disciples are reaping. And that's the third lesson here. To reap a harvest, you've got to sow the seed. Um, Verse 37 and 38, seed has to be sown. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you, disciples, you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So the obvious point is, if you don't sow seed, there won't be a harvest. I mean, that's a no-brainer, but sometimes we forget that. 
we wonder, well, why am I not seeing people come to Christ? Duh, I haven't been sharing. <laughs> you know, that's the reason. Uh, I need to be sowing the seed. And when the seed is sown, then uh, there could be a harvest. Now, at the very least, may I suggest this? We've been talking about this as a church over and over. Make a list of 8 to 15 people that you have regular contact with at work, at school, in the neighborhood, in your contacts who don't know Jesus and begin praying that, number one, you'll have an opportunity to sow some seed. And number two, if you don't, someone else will. And maybe you're going to reap the seed they sowed. And that, that God would open up opportunities to bring them to Christ. But to reap a harvest, we have to sow the seed. And then the fourth lesson here is, you might do the hard work of sowing and someone else gets the joy of reaping. That's just the way God works. I think that keeps us from any pride. But Jesus says in verse 37, uh, one sows and another reaps. And it's really important to keep that in mind. You, you are not laboring alone. We're all a body. And God uses the witness corporately of believers. And... Uh, Chances are, if you lead someone to Christ, someone else has already shared with them because studies show it takes, uh, I think it's on the average, seven times before a person responds to the gospel. And if you share and the person doesn't respond, don't get discouraged. Just pray that the seed you've sown would be watered, that somebody else would follow it up, and that there would be a crop down line. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. And J.C. Ryle has a good observation. He says, let it be noted that in doing uh, work for Christ and laboring for souls, there are sowers as well as reapers. The work of the reaper makes far more show than the work of the sower. I mean, when somebody prays to receive Christ, you will be, but... What about all the people that shared beforehand and prayed and so on? Ryle continues, Yet it's perfectly clear that if there was no sowing, there would be no reaping. It's of great importance to remember this. The church is often disposed to give an excessive honor to Christ's reapers and to overlook the labors of Christ's sowers. Uh, I can't help but think of the story of Adoniram Judson, dear man, labored for his whole lifetime in Burma, saw very little visible fruit. He suffered a lot of hardship, uh, imprisonment, torture, uh, disease, lost children, lost wives. At the end of his life, he had very few converts. And yet today, there are over a million Christians in Burma who trace their roots back to the witness of Adoniram Judson, who was the first Christian to set foot there and bear witness. And I can't imagine the joy in heaven when he, when he welcomes Burmese Christians in, into heaven. So, uh, those are the lessons of sowing and reaping. So, God uses then the witness of those who are excited about Jesus and the witness of those who develop this harvest mindset. They're thinking harvest. They're thinking souls. And then finally, God uses the witness of those who invite others to come to Jesus. Verses 39 to 42. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all things that I've done. 
So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. They're not discounting her witness. They're affirming it. For we have heard now for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. That's a remarkable thing in light of the centuries of hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans that these Samaritans would accept Jesus. And I I think there's no explanation except the Holy Spirit was going before him, breaking down barriers, opening their hearts. Um, And the woman had simply invited them, come and see. And remember, that takes us back to chapter 1 when Nathaniel was skeptical And Philip just said, come and see. Come and see. And he went and he saw and he followed Jesus. And it's a good model for us. Two things here. First of all, focus on who Jesus is. This woman came to know Jesus is the Messiah. And he can give me the water of eternal life, the living water. And so she just goes back and tells people what she knows. I met the Messiah and... uh, She probably told them about the living water. I was at the well. I'm sure she explained some of that. And uh, by saying he told me all the things that I've done, at least she saw him as a prophet. We know greater than a prophet as omniscient, the omniscient God. Um, We never read of any Jewish village that got Jesus to spend two days there. It's a remarkable thing. He stays for two days reaping the harvest among these Samaritans. And at the end, they make this tremendous statement, he's the Savior of the world. That means not just of the Jews, but we have here a precursor of Acts 1-8, don't we? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus is the Savior of all who will believe in him. The fact that they call him the Savior, too, is important. As I've said many times, Savior is a radical word. You don't need a Savior if you're doing pretty good, thank you. You know, you don't need a Savior if you just need a few helpful hints for happy living. You know, life's pretty good. Yeah, I could tweak a few things. No, you need a Savior when you're perishing. You need a Savior when there is no hope. And you cannot save yourself. When you're dead in your transgressions and sins and nothing short of a resurrection will do, you need a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. And uh, so in your witness, just focus on Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. I like to encourage people, read through the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, And answer that question that Jesus asked his disciples. Uh, It's recorded in Matthew 16, 15. But who do you say that I am? That's the crucial question. Who do you say that I am? Because our faith rests on the answer to that question. And then finally just invite sinners to come to Jesus. The woman in verse 29 just says, come. And see a man who told me all the things that I've done. And they went and they saw Jesus and they believed in him. 
That word come is a beautiful word. Jesus uses it in Matthew 11:28 when he invites those burdened with sin. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And then it's over in John 6:37 where Jesus says, all that the Father has given me will come to me. And then he makes this wonderful promise. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. And then the whole Bible ends on the same note. Revelation 22:17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty, Come. And let the one who wishes take, here it is again, the water of life. That's Jesus, the living water. Let them take the water of life without cost. What an invitation. And that's God's invitation to you. If you've never come to Jesus, come. Come to Him and drink of the living water of eternal life that He offers. If you're thirsty spiritually, Come to Jesus. If you're burdened with your sin, come to Jesus. He's the Savior of sinners like this woman was. It's a broad invitation to all to come to Jesus. And then when you've come, He'll use you as an effective witness, inviting others, come to Jesus and live. Dear Father, I pray that through these words you would move in the hearts of any who have not come and given their hearts to Jesus to come to Him, to trust Him as Savior and Lord, to accept the forgiveness that He procured by His own death on the cross. And Lord, then that You would get us so excited about Jesus and give us that harvest mindset so that we might go out and invite the sinners in our lives, come. Come to Jesus, and we'll ask it for His sake. Amen. We're going to.